0: So we buy everything with the intention to keep it. The one issue is, is I'm sure as you guys know too, everything is always for sale at the right price. So welcome to the Big Picture Blueprint. I'm your host, Dan Eberkos, along with
1: Mason McDonald, and we're going to discuss all things land, real estate, and business in general with all kinds of exceptional people. Let's get started. All right, everybody, welcome to the Big Picture Blueprint. I'm your host, Dan Heracost, along with Mason McDonald, and today we have an awesome guest. We have John Klingelowitz out of Wisconsin, Madison, Wisconsin, and John and his brother have built several businesses from a marketing company that they own, a uh, buy and hold investment company from residential to commercial, and also a uh, a commercial flipping company where they buy reposition and resell commercial buildings. Uh and that's just the start. So I'll let John introduce himself. John, how you doing?
0: Good, good. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Oh, so yeah, like uh you nailed it there. We own, you know, the Roboting marketing, the direct mail company that was born out of real estate uh and what we were doing for ourselves and uh and then also, you know, I'm, at heart I'm a buy and hold real estate investor. That's the end goal, um, that's the cash flow that at the end of the day provides the financial freedom. Uh, and then just the active side of real estate as well. So uh, a little bit of everything, but it all has such good synergies together. It makes it just so much fun to to do it all, um, do it all kind of under the same umbrella. Sure. So that, that's
1: the first question that Mason and I wanted to ask. So you, you build robots, which is incredibly interesting. Can you give us the backstory on... When you started doing that, why and and what business was born, which you mentioned, out of you building robots?
0: Yeah, so it's a fascinating story. And like so many businesses and entrepreneurs, they see problems and create solutions. So uh, we never intended to set out um, starting a direct mail company. When we were buying real estate for ourselves, we were, like many people, trying to find uh, good off-market deals. And we did that by... Sitting at the kitchen table, handwriting, envelopes. We knew they would get opened uh, and we we're getting calls, good conversions, but we couldn't send enough of them. So the obvious thing in my brain was, let's see if we can f- somehow speed this up a little bit. And what came out of that was we uh, put together some mechanical machines that uh, could do the process of handwriting the envelopes. And we became obsessed with the quality and making sure that if we were going to mechanically do it, that... We weren't sacrificing having it look worse and lose that response rate. So it wasn't about just getting it done. It was about doing it as good or better uh, mechanically. Um, so after we did figure out, you know, that piece of it, we started sending more mail for ourselves, more deals. And when our friends, obviously in the real estate space, every, like everyone knows each other and we're friends and talk. And our friends were asking us how we were finding our deals. Um, and very quickly led to, while well, we send a lot of mail. We built these machines, the whole story. Before you know it, our friends are buying our mail from us. Uh, it's not a company, it's just our friends are trying to get, you know, have, have us help them um, do their mail as well. So then ultimately, uh, we partnered up and turned it, uh, we partnered up with someone, turned it into an actual business uh, just to really organize it, um, you know, give it that front facing retail. Uh, space in a, a way that would be efficient and then the whole problem uh behind it wasn't we knew how to write the envelopes but it really became how do we build the back-end systems around scaling a mail business where everything is kind of custom built there's no magic software out there that you can use to run a skilled mail operation like we've put together Um, So we call it bins and barcodes, but we basically developed this whole system of how we scale the mail business. And now uh, we've done uh, over 700,000 pieces of mail year to date. Um, Well, we should easily do a million this year, uh, but there's probably a really good chance we'll do well north of a million pieces of uh, mail. But yeah, we're in the mail business as a result of uh you know being real estate investors finding a problem that we were solving for ourselves and then uh, turning it into a business i
2: love that john you know that that's something we always try to do is it, it's so easy to get shiny object syndrome whenever you have the personality of so many people within this space because there's so many exciting businesses and strategies and what you did was a direct integration that you were already using in your business that you solved and what i love about your company you know on shiny object syndrome is You have not allowed scope creep to happen because you have just one product, right? With your, your mailing business.
0: Robot Inc has one product and there've been times where we've talked about deviating from that. And we always go back to, um, you know, let's stick to it. We have one product that works. We do, uh, to be fair, we do try other stuff ourselves all the time when we're curious, but nothing seems to do as well as that original mailer that we, uh, we started using. That's, that's so perfect. Cause you know, stick to what you know and get really, really good at it.
2: But you know, with just that one product, how do you kind of differentiate yourself? Cause I, I know you can go on Amazon and buy, you know, like one of those X, Y, you know, handwriting things that you have to do all that. Like talk, talk about the actual robot. Um, you know, does the piece of mail look like? What does the handwriting look like? Can you modify the handwriting? Um, yeah. Talk a little bit about that and how you differentiate yourself from, you know, the competition that's doing the same stuff.
0: Yeah, so there's definitely more competition in the space that we've seen uh, people come into the space recently in the last year. We've been at this for a while now. Robot Inc. has been around a couple of years. It's 2013, like two and a half years at this point. Um, but we've been actually using the underlying technology you know, a lot longer than that. Uh, the Actually building them, it was... After we figured out the handwriting piece, it was a bigger challenge... Uh, At this point, I would say it's actually organize it because just having a bunch of random envelopes and piles everywhere doesn't do any good. You have to keep them meticulously in order if you want to have the letters line up. So it's not just about shoving the same letter inside each one. It's about having the letters personalized, too. So it says, hi, Bob, you know, comma, I want to buy your house at 123 Main Street. So keeping that all together throughout the entire process. And then uh, I just became obsessed with making it efficient. So like I became obsessed with making the product perfect. I became obsessed with making the mail operation efficient just because if it wasn't, it was going to be a complete disaster. And I could see that from day one, that if this was not organized to the extreme, um, it was going to be next to impossible to operate and it would make no money because we would be just chasing our tails all the time, trying to find stuff and all that. So from day one with Robot Inc., we uh, we pretty much started barcoding stuff right away. Um, that was a you know game-changing uh, thing for mail in general, because before that, we hadn't barcoded stuff. But when we started barcoding everything, uh, then we actually barcoded our mail as well, because we do kind of two mail engines, I call them here. We have ours that we do all of our stuff from our custom CRM that we built. But then we have the robot ink side that's completely separate. So we use the same machines to actually write the envelopes for both, but behind the scenes, we have two completely separate mail engines that are kind of running that um, do the processing for the mail. But yeah, like it really was about that bigger picture of when we started out, I think I saw some of the vision of down the road of if it was actually going to get somewhere and I had to assemble that the processes and kind of have the end picture of how do we, how are we going to, how is this going to be doable uh, instead of just, and we built a lot of it along the way as we went, but like, you know, without that, I don't think there's any way that it would have succeeded because it would have just been a complete mess.
1: Sure. And To that end, John. Number one, I gotta say, uh, your mail is incredibly effective. I use it in places that I really want to get in touch with everyone. uh, Or I've mailed a lot. You know, I just last week I I, I used it. We've gotten an enormous response. I mean, like a, a, I want to say like a four or five percent response, three or four percent response rate, which is incredible. Uh, And then number two to your whole conversation about how you've made it more efficient. Tell us about the award you just got, because I think it's really interesting that what initially was just yeah. solving your own problem has evolved into this sort of business.
0: Yeah. So uh, I was so honored earlier this year. I actually got uh, an award from the post office, um, from a- the actual postmaster general of the United States sitting for, ice. yeah, for, uh, for innovation and growth. So we have some other things in the pipeline with our mail that we're working on. Our, like we're using it ourselves we we haven't rolled it out to robot inc but uh we're starting to actually um, barcode our mail uh in a way where it looks like it was done by the post office so it's 100 authentic but then it can be tracked through the system and it, allo- it allows you to put extra options on it so we're doing a bunch of that stuff for uh ourselves but we haven't rolled it out to the robot inc side of um stuff because there's some complexities but at some point it will be uh, which is super cool so Our mail is basically uh, just becoming even better and better uh, as we go. This isn't like we just stopped, you know, when we got it. It's like a constant innovation thing with um, what we're doing with it. So uh, I got an award for basically the innovation and growth side of uh, our business, which was super cool, super honored to get it in front of uh, the National Postal Forum Conference in front of a bunch of people and met a ton of other awesome people in the mail industry as well. So that was an amazing
2: experience earlier this year. It's amazing. And it's one of those awards, you know, John and I, we talked about that, I think a week ago or something, uh, who would have thought that 10 years ago, you would be getting an award, you know, through a business like this from the postmaster general. Uh, that's amazing. And what, what is your team at robot Inc look like? Um, because you know, it's machines doing a lot of the work, but there's so many, you know, back end systems and so much organization and data to manage and orders and sales what what's the org chart look like
0: we run it extremely lean so uh one of the benefits to putting so much effort into that efficiency piece uh, and again the efficiency piece is never done we're constantly trying to be like how can we make this better more efficient reduce errors um we actually run it with two full-time team members uh and then myself as well but uh it's a, a lean team that we run the three people um that. yes we run all of the operational side of it with three we we sales is separated from that um the guys upstairs doing real estate stuff do a little bit with the uh, sales on rim as well for the inbound leads we get when it's, it's more of a sales conversation rather than operational conversation but yeah it's the incredible thing and in all reality the incredible team here does most of the work like i they were on vacation both um the two of them are on vacation the uh the stars aligned where they were both gone at the same time. And like, it's amazing how, how well they do keeping the operation going. Um, so yeah, like I love the efficiency thing though. It's just become an obsession.
1: Yeah. That's really cool. It's been awesome from a third party to watch you hire those people and make that business more efficient and more off your plate. Cause I know that wasn't the case, you know, a year and a half ago. So that's been really cool to see.
0: Yeah. It's definitely gone through rough patches, robot Inc. during some of the scaling it's been, it was tough early on because we would see these huge influxes of orders and we just were not geared up for it. So it was a lot, um, but we've really gotten it down and just, uh, it's now exciting when the big ones come in because we know we can do it. Uh, and just how we, we do things with the c- monitoring, the capacity as well. Uh, we keep our finger on the pulse to try not and ever, um, make it make, let ourselves get in a situation where we can't keep up so like we have some good systems in place to be able to uh like burst our capacity with um robot inc as well which is cool what do you think your capacity is at because you said you're at seven hundred
2: thousand. you know it's july 28th right now so you're right at about you know averaging 1.2 million per year for this year uh would be the assumption how much do you think with your current systems current team How big do you think you could operate right now? How many pieces of mail per year?
0: Uh, With adding a little bit of technology, more technology in, we could pretty easily get to three to three and a half million um, pieces of mail a year. The biggest key to success, it's almost like the secret to the success with the mail business is the goal is always to run it during business hours. But what happens is when it gets really busy, uh, I kind of call it the bursting capacity is I'll just work later at night or very early in the morning and we can get more hours. And it's all about just hours of production. So by not allowing us to normally run extreme amounts of time and keeping it in the business hours, like always trying to keep it in the business hours, uh, we always have that burst capacity for when we do get behind and That's been a really uh, great thing that we keep in our back pocket. Gotcha. So,
1: this is a business born out of improving one of your others so we got to talk about the real estate uh if you have anything more you'd like to say on roboting feel free to but the 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 core of your business where did you start and what does that look like as far as the buy and hold side of things
0: your apartments your grocery stores yeah so we started with the duplex um coming out of the last the 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 2008 recession is when we we coming on the upswing of that so like we we didn't buy while the craziness was going on we bought when the dust had settled a little bit and that was when we jumped in the game all started with a duplex like with so many people like hum- so many people get into the real estate space and it was slow so we bought a duplex you know waited a year bought another duplex uh waited about another year bought another duplex and then it started to snowball a little bit where we started buying more uh we actually sold that first duplex one of the best moves we made was that first duplex was kind of uh the one that was annoying like we were always having the issues with it but it had we got it at such a deep discount that we were able to sell it for so much that we were able to pay off the second duplex that we bought and we immediately went and got a line of credit against that duplex and that was what really started accelerating the business that line of credit uh opened up a world of opportunity to go write cash offers. So after that, we were off to the races with, um, scaling. I want, I want to unpack that a little bit. So
2: one, you know, you had all this equity built into that second duplex, you know, paying it off and everything, um, with that line of credit, how does that work of going out and making a cash cash purchase on another property? And then, you know, I guess refinancing it and kind of just step-by-step for the ignorant walk us through how you use that line of credit to go buy more real estate.
0: Yeah. So, uh, you know, in simple terms, what we do is we keep that line of credit, ideally, you know, paid off. We're not using it for operational things ever. It's for doing the big deals. And when we find a property that we want to make an offer on, it is so competitive and so complicated when you get financing involved as a contingency it's way easier to write a cash offer, so we uh, basically write the offer without a financing contingency, and then we'll get our banker to provide us a letter that says we have funds available. So uh, the letter's worded in a very professional way. It doesn't say we have the money sitting in our checking account because we don't. You know, it's a line of credit that we draw on, um, but we're able to you know immediately go take that to to closing. Then, so we can do really quick closes. Uh, we can get rid of appraisal contingencies we can get rid of all the contingencies when you cuz when you find a good home run deal in real estate uh when you start throwing up barriers like and hurdles you just are asking for trouble so it's so much better to take away everything so if that a seller or that person that you're buying from if they accept that it's a done deal there's no way we can you know back out or do anything um and with the really good deals too, uh, we, you know, don't do professional inspections. Now I would not advise that for anyone just getting started out. Uh, I think it's really important that you make sure you're not going to get yourself in trouble, but for us, what we know what to look for and we're not worried about, uh, a lot of the, even like medium size cost things. Like if a place needs a new roof, usually we can, uh, Find find such a good deal that and we're helping that seller out by closing, you know, quickly. Usually there's a reason they're selling, you know, so we're helping them out, too. But uh, we're we're able to not nitpick all that little stuff apart. Like, we need this fixed, that fixed, all of that. Like, we just basically can take it as is. So um, that really locks it up. So uh, then we draw on that line of credit to buy it. Uh, as soon as we buy it, we usually will finance it traditionally with our bank, um, with the business side of the bank. And then once the financing is done, we will pay that line of credit off and then recycle it for the next one. Yep.
1: Yep. That is a a very uh, efficient way to go and scale a portfolio. But kind of as a corollary to all this, how are you finding these early deals? Was it just all on market because we're in the depths of the, the crash or were you already direct to seller marketing?
0: So when we first started, our first couple were off the MLS, but very quickly, after the last recovery back in, you know, 2012, 13, like 14, the very quickly, the, the good deals dried up. They were gone. People were back out picking up anything that was head beat on the bone that was listed. So we just knew that if we were going to continue buying real estate, we needed to have a, a way to buy it better than other people. And that way we, we tried cold call and we tried everything. And we just love direct mail because people would actively call us if they had any interest in you know, even having a conversation. So we had warm people calling us with day jobs. It's hard to sit down and cold call, um, but it was easy for us to call those people back. Uh, and that's how we ultimately ended up landing and loving direct mail so much was uh, I was just this natural progression from you know, buying deals on the market. Can't find them to uh, solving the problem of how do we find them? And um it just worked out so well and, uh, it was scalable and we started aggressive, like finding the great deals that we needed to grow the portfolio. So what about the big ones, um, that
2: you're doing now, you know, the grocery stores, the commercial, are you finding those on market or are you utilizing direct mail direct to seller marketing to get those ones as well?
0: So same thing. We're using direct mail. Uh, we found that it's a, it's very similar to when we started in the direct mail space for so much of the residential stuff where it wasn't as competitive. So we love that we're able to go find, you know, good deals. And it's, it's almost the same as a lot of the residential stuff. It's just bigger. um, It's just like the natural progression to go bigger. So instead of duplexes, we're buying commercial properties. Uh, We also love that the, you don't get the tenants and toilet side of um, the issues as much. Although we, we have had our fair share too of, weird commercial stuff but like it's not nearly as bad as like uh sometimes where you get you know middle of the night stuff uh in the residential because with commercial typically the tenants are responsible for a lot of the uh, repairs and the little things so you don't get a call about a toilet for example um which is awesome it's way more scalable well and, and dan
2: said it and you know he he put it on our notes right here i have no idea about it tell me about grocery stores
0: what do you what do you have going on with grocery stores john So, so yeah, we have a grocery store. It's actually like an hour away. I've actually, I've only been there once and it was the day of closing, but um, we purchased it and it, it like anything the owner wanted to move. So there was a, some motivation and the building also needed a new roof and the roof was not cheap. It was about $170,000 for the roof. So we just worked backwards with all the numbers and found a, a price that made sense for us, made sense for him to be able to walk away. Um, and you know, we, we have a couple other partners in that one too. So it's not just my brother and I anymore. We're, we have more partners now in a lot of the stuff we do, uh, and we have for a while, but, um, that was one another one where we actually, uh, used lines of credit to close in cash. And then we financed, um, you know, after the fact, just cause it made it, uh, so much easier to, to do.
1: Okay. Was that a deal you got via robot Inc.? Uh, and then the, your, and then number two, is that a correct deal? Uh, can we speak to what you're doing currently?
0: Yeah. So that, uh, that came from a mailer. So it came from one of those mailers. It technically didn't come from robot Inc. because like we have our own, you know, mail system that we use, but it's the same product. Um, and yeah, like those are the kinds of places we're after now, uh, currently. So we currently still, we own that one. We're going to hold that one for a long time. It's a great, um, great building and uh just has it's in a great location there's no other grocery stores nearby it so uh, even if they did ever leave i mean a uh, prime place for a new grocery store to come in because there's nowhere else that a grocery store could go so it's the grocery store in the area um but yeah currently we're trying to find those kinds of places um just the bigger deals the more opportunity you know more bang for the buck and just more long-term um focus on the the places that are going to be better long term fits for the portfolio versus short term um, with high turnover, like a lot of the duplexes and uh, those places, they have high turnover. They have a lot more hands on stuff. So we're just trying to get more and more away from um, those places. But you know, we are right now actively. Uh, we have under contract uh, apartment comp- 48 unit apartment complex. So, I mean, we are still buying those kinds of properties. Just we're trying to think bigger. I love it. And last question on the grocery store. Uh cuz I I
2: think it's so cool that you own one. Is it uh like an anchor uh tenant in a strip center or is this a single tenant, you know, situation and then what is the lease? Is it a triple net or
0: are John are you operating this grocery store? Um No, definitely not operating the grocery store. I'd weigh a million pounds if I was cuz I eat everything. Uh the the grocery store is a triple net um lease I, Every triple net lease seems to always have quirky, you know, things like the roof was one in this case where we were responsible for the roof. We might be responsible for the parking lot too in this one. Um, But there's always some like quirky things that, you know, the landlord is still responsible for. It is a single tenant building. There's no, you know, other businesses attached, uh, not a strip center. And I think in this particular case, it's actually kind of nice just in the location it is and everything. It really is like a, has a big parking lot uh, in the area is growing. So um it's it's just uh overall great play um in the single tenant too is so nice because like with the store removal all that kind of stuff you're not having different tenants having to deal with it and get in the middle of it it just makes it so easy to to see it uh to manage it on a day-to-day you know based on how how many years is the lease Uh, i don't know off the top of my head but it is a long time so it's like i think maybe 13 uh so it renews like typically it renews in bigger chunks i want to say this one renews in like five year five years at a time they renew for and then they have options to like so they know what their rent is going to increase to it's not like when you live in an apartment and you get the notice from the landlord that in a month you know your rent's going up by a huge amount they know for the next uh like 10 plus years what their rent will be if they it will be if they stay and they're guaranteed that it'll be at that rate um and that's also what drives a lot of the purchase price is it's the financials on the building. So that was part of why we got a good deal on it was because the rent was a little bit under the market value. So if they ever did leave, um, there's an opportunity to get a substantial rent bump.
1: Yeah. So, all right, grocery stores, 48 unit apartments. Clearly you are not backing down here, you know, summer of 2023. How do you and, and your brother think about what you should be buying and keeping versus Versus just you know repositioning and selling, given the current market, you know a lot of people are afraid. How
0: do you approach this today? So we buy everything with the intention to keep it. The one issue is is I'm sure as you guys know too, everything is always for sale at the right yes. price. So when the, when the right offer comes along, um, you have to evaluate and look at the specific place. So for example, if I'm going to buy a. For you, for very round numbers here, that probably won't make sense at all. But like, if I'm going to buy a four-unit building for five hundred thousand dollars, and I'm making you know a thousand dollars a month on it, and over ten years, you know, I'm going to make 130000 dollars. If I have the opportunity to sell it today and make three hundred thousand dollars more after I've owned it for five months, I'm going to sell it and make that three hundred thousand dollars because it's three hundred thousand dollars I can reposition, put into something else. And at the same time, I don't have to deal with 10 years of problems from this. So I'm basically like extracting a lot of the value up front. And money today is always more valuable than, you know, money over time because you can deploy that capital. So it's, it's really a weird formula. You know, it, when we started out, we we're like, we're never going to sell anything. But um, you meet people and you get offers on stuff just out of the blue, just like we buy places, we get offers from people. And, uh, you know, some of them are just for amounts where it's too, too good to pass up oh yeah well and and that's allowing math
2: and return percentages to dictate your business because you know it's the idea of you know once again for easy math you know if you can you know dan and i do a lot of land flips of if you can make an eight percent or a ten percent cash on cash return in a 30-day timeline that's equivalent of basically a 120 percent return in a year so annualized yeah. yeah so if you can look at annualized return and just like that deal of you know even if you have to pay capital gains taxes or something like that not with the land but you know on one of these you know physical assets of that opportunity cost lost by holding it for 10 years as versus being able to get that cash back even paying the taxes and deploying it into another asset that can do the same thing um you know it's an amazing business and you just have to know how to calculate your net present value and your IRR whenever you're doing pro formas on deals like this and anticipate, you know, three, five, 10, 20 year exits.
0: I think there's always like the hassle factor too. You have to think about how much am I going to have to, how much of my mental capacity is this place going to take? Cause you know, when you start trying to scale and you get bogged down with little things, it just kills you. So, um, there's definitely a lot of it is numbers, like 90% of it's numbers. It's that, 10% of it's like this common sense like looking at it from yeah yeah because all these properties you know they need they always have stuff you have to do to it like you're never going to find something that it's next to impossible to find any sort of real estate that you're never going to have to touch like and do something if you're going to like buy and hold it long term that you're never gonna have to like touch and do anything to um you know law of averages like stuff always is going to be needing attention uh no matter what, yeah, no, that's that's
1: a, a fair point. So opportunity cost also on your time has to be considered. I think is what we're getting at there. But John, wh- one thing I want to make sure we cover. So just for the audience, you know, your your brother is more the sales side of things upstairs. He's great at talking to sellers, and you're the analytical data engineer. And so something that you've made me aware of that I didn't really realize until I've gotten to know you is how much data is being missed by all of us that are just using prop stream or list source to pull our leads and so one way that you guys have been able to get deals is getting the data that everybody else is missing and not mailing not calling so can you talk about that a little bit because i think what you've done there is genius
0: yeah for sure so yeah like um like dan said my brother and so one other partner that's been with us for a while, Joe, like the two of them kind of upstairs do the sales side of stuff. I, I'm not going to, I don't really enjoy that. So I just stay away from it. Uh, too stressful, but uh, I love the data side of it. And I almost think it's for us, like I love mail. I almost think though, it's more about the data. Cause if you're bailing garbage, you know, if you're mailing garbage uh, places or leads, like it's, you're not going to get any calls. So you really have to be mailing quality leads. And that comes from good data. And uh, the way we've done that is to just, Become obsessed with that as well just like we did with the mail product the mail is just a delivery vehicle at the end of the day to get that person to call you um the real value uh above and beyond that is knowing how to go de- deep dive and find uh find properties and find the opportunities to target usually the harder they are to find the better the opportunity because most people don't make the effort so you know the the places where you can just go buy a list that's the low-hanging fruit and um, Everyone does that to start. So if you're like, you know, mailing single family houses, you're mailing the same place as everyone else is. Uh, And some of that mail is going to, or like some of those um, targeted contacts, you're going to be sending it to a bad address that the person hasn't lived at, or someone passed away, something like that. But if you do a little bit more research with county records and the real like raw data, you can find where these people live. And no one's doing that. Like very few people are doing that. So when you start to do that deep dive into the data, you find a lot of opportunities that are getting passed up. That's where a lot of our really good deals come from. So I'm, I'm looking right now, you know, in my
2: CRM and it looks like I have, you know, in between 50 and 70 that fail every time or 50 and 70 per thousand uh, mailers that I send that just fail. When I first started in this business using a different mail house, I was getting in between 17 and 22% return to sender. So, is that are those people right there the ones where it's okay? I'm targeting the quality leads in the quality areas, but n- those people are never getting the mail because whatever it is of address changes not being registered with you USPS or um, are those the people that we're talking about here,
0: Dan and John? That is a segment of it for sure. So many people don't do anything with return mail, and I think sometimes that return mail, if you stay on top of it, can be really valuable because. Just like you got it back, everyone else is getting it back. And a lot of people don't do anything with it. So, if you really want to buy those places and you put in the time to go uh, after finding, hunting down those owners, um, you know, and putting that effort in, you'll find owners that aren't getting contacted. That's where you find the, some of the best deals for sure.
1: Even beyond that, John, you know, there's a market you're helping me with where when I go on PropStream, I pull a list, I'm getting very few results. So, even forgetting about just wrong mailing addresses, you know, all these data aggregators are dealing with what thousands of counties that all record keep and label their records differently, and so sometimes it doesn't mesh right, and that you know aggregator like PropStream will not pull the data. So can you can you give specific any specific examples of you know markets where, and I'm not saying you have to share the market, but examples where you know PropStream or ListSource tells you that, hey, there's only 100 apartments here, but there's really 150 and how you identified those other 50?
0: So yeah, that's a great question too. So I have uh, i don't currently have a subscription to any of those um, providers, but in the past I have, and I used to scour them and look for the missing pockets. So when you look at the map, uh, uh, you know, it, with the filtered views, the way you want to target properties, if you see a huge chunk just missing, do a little deep dive into that area and see if like, are there actually apartments there? And there is a good chance there are, and they're just not included. And for whatever reason, uh, they're not able to import or you know get a hold of that data. And a lot of times, it's just because it's like a small community. So when you look at like a prop stream, like Dan said, uh, or list source, or any of those, they have to go and get all the county records and all the assessment records typically. So that's going to every single municipality, township, um, you know, city, uh, village, everything out there, and that's a lot of work. And then to get it to all mesh together and they have to basically crosswalk that data into their um system because the formatting is always wonky no matter where you get it like there's not a universal you know there's certainly software out there that places use for assessments but there's so many different products that like there's not always a same way export that everyone has it in and it's a little bit confusing to get that raw data into uh to work with it because it comes in multiple um like tables so getting that though in those areas that uh aren't showing up on the maps is just a huge opportunity because then you can again target something no one else is and it does take a lot of work sometimes to get the data from these you know small places because they don't have a huge staff or they outsource it to a third party so there's a number of reasons that it's not easy to get either but again that's the value so the harder it is to get um when it's not available usually the better opportunity if there's stuff you're looking for in that area
2: that's so useful because you know it's it's all about using your marketing dollars as effectively as possible. So if you're able to target people that aren't being targeted with asset classes that you desire, you know then then your response rate uh, is going to be so much higher because they're probably not on the phone all the time, um, which makes it an even warmer lead that comes in, especially if they're they're actually going to be
0: calling you back. But, hundred percent, and we. Also don't overcomplicate it. So many people get so hung up on like, this is so complicated and it doesn't have to be. So in all reality, the best systems out there for building lists and keeping track of all this stuff, the best systems are actually the ones you're going to use. So like, it can be as simple as just going and creating an Excel spreadsheet. If that's your thing and that's what you're comfortable with, sit in front of the TV at night and while you're watching TV, uh, you know, add like 10 or 15 places a night to that spreadsheet. And but don't just like slop through doing them, you know, put the time in. But before you know it, you'll have a couple hundred and then you have a really good list, um, you know, at that point because you put the effort in and it's in a way that you understand. It's not like you were trying to load it into some crazy software platform CRM thing. That's confusing. Doesn't make sense. Like you just have a very simple list in Excel and you'll see success because it's something you can use, know how to use, and then ultimately take action on one well, for all the, you know, engineer types out there that, you know, understand APIs
2: and, you know, web scraping and data pull and all, all this backend, you know, engineering that, you know, you could utilize, um, Here's an opportunity for you guys out there to figure out how to create a system of, hey, our lists that we pull are the ones that no one else can pull. Um, And that gives another opportunity in business, uh, which is a pain point for all of us. But we've talked a little bit about or a lot of bit about Robot Inc. um, You're buying a whole business. Um, We started talking about uh, your third business at the beginning of the podcast. Why don't you walk us through what you're doing there?
0: So, yeah, so like we also own a brokerage at this point. Um, It's just a natural progression. Like, it's so funny. I feel like so many people I talk to, they all go down the same path where it's like you start out, you buy a duplex or two, you know, maybe not the roboting part, but like the, you see so many people become realtors or get involved in a professional way. So, um, we just uh, added that recently, like the brokerage piece to really just um, make it so there's just another outlet for, you know, opportunities and, Another way to just be more involved in real estate, and that's something that's a newer venture for us, but it's been um, going pretty well, and it's it's a it's exciting, just like everything else that we do. Um, So it was a great complementary, you know, organic path that we were led through, led to, kind of just with what we were doing.
1: Sure, yeah, great way to to monetize retail leads. Um, So with all this going on, okay, we got Robot Inc., we've got your buy and hold portfolio sometimes the flipping of buy, you know of commercial buildings on the brokerage we know you have two employees for robot eight what is the rest of the team the org chart look like
0: so it's really just uh the sales side of stuff um so we have a couple the brokerage side we have um more partners and and uh like licensed um agents and then a licensed broker but uh it's you know there on that side it's more like everyone really has skin in the game kind of it's um you know more like commission side uh and it's more salesy side than like uh eight to five sort of business that um you think of but it works really well we uh we run kind of the operational side in our we have a two-story office building and we kind of run the operational side of everything downstairs uh where i am and then upstairs is all the the real estate kind of like sales and um, the, the more action, like, uh, like, uh, not physical action, but like the more like, um, you know, it's kind of like action of buy, like buying and selling stuff. Um, just with finding deals, the
1: engineers downstairs and taking the the call, room upstairs.
0: Yeah, that's a good way to put it.
2: That's what I was looking for. John, you're doing so much and so many, so many different avenues or niches within real estate. Um, I know you work all the time. When do you feel like you're going to kind of achieve, you know, a pinnacle level of success that you would define
0: for yourself? And what does that look like? I think to some extent I already have, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of weird to think about, but, uh, I've definitely noticed that I've become less and less money motivated. And like, I really doing a lot of this because it feels like it's fun and like engaging. Uh, I couldn't imagine, you know, not working. Like I just love working. It's it just like drives me every day to, you know, solve problems and uh, think big and just like keep going. So uh, I I don't know if I'll ever stop working because it's so much fun, but I definitely can see shifting to solving other, you know, more complex problems to just stay, uh, stay engaged. And definitely as an entrepreneur, that whole shiny object thing is everywhere. So um, I feel like I've done an okay job at swatting, you know, that stuff down as it comes along, but definitely being aware uh, and seeing the opportunities out there still too, because problems are everywhere to be solved. And I feel like I see them, you know, nonstop. what's a shiny object that you
2: really want to go after that you have held back from, as you've built out these multiple
0: real estate businesses.
1: It's <laughs> a big question, Mason, that might go on a while.
0: <laughs> That's okay. Yeah. I feel like there's a lot. So we actually tried starting a painting company a year ago. Uh, we thought year and a half ago, it was a year. year and a half ago. So uh, we thought, yeah, so we thought since we owned so many rental properties, it was a natural. Next thing was like, I'm tired of paying contractors. Let's just start our own. And it was like too much. So we were like, after six months, we're like, that's ah, not worth it. Easier how we were. So we went back to kind of doing things the way we were. But you know, there's stuff like that that comes along. And I, it was a good learning experience. I mean, we actually did a decent amount of business too outside of our, like our goal was kind of to do a lot of stuff for ourselves, but we did a decent amount of business outside of that as well for other people. Uh, we actually hired a sales rep for that for a while. Um, but it was just like so management intense and heavy and like, it just wasn't, I uh, it was taking away from kind of our core focus. Were uh, you out there painting? jobs? St- <laughs> were you was out that? there painting? Absolutely not. I never, I never touched a paintbrush. <laughs> I don't think I ever, ever even went on a job site other than when we were first starting to kind of get an idea of how stuff was getting sold. But I was definitely more on the business side of that too. But, uh, it was a great experience. Like I learned a ton, um, you know, about painting and paint and everything. But, uh, at the end of the day, there's only so many hours in the day and it just wasn't really worth it. Um, to do that. So that's a perfect example of a shiny object that we actually chased for a little bit, but we realized quickly on wasn't worth it and then pulled the plug. Oh yeah.
1: Yeah. And, and to that joke about you painting something you and your brother and Joe have done so effectively is, you know, you'll joke with me. Oh, I, I think we have some closings this week, but I don't know. That's, that's Mike's wheelhouse. That's for him. And you guys have done a very good job of dividing up responsibilities. Hey, I own this, you own that, and then handling it so you don't have to double check what Mike's doing or double check what Joe's doing and vice versa. And I think that's a big part of why you're able to successfully run several companies because you guys have built out your org chart, you've been very efficient and and you've delegated accordingly and hey, I own this. This is my my task, my thing to handle and Nobody else has to
0: to deal with it. So I, I think that's really contributed to you guys' success. 100%, man. There's only so many hours in the day, so you can't do it all.
1: And to your last point, I, it sounds like it's time to go buy that place in La Jolla. Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah, maybe not quite, but uh, I mean, certainly, too, is the the fun part is as you know, all this stuff keeps growing, it's the future is just potentially better, you know, for where I want to live long-term and everything else. Uh, That's definitely the goal. Like I don't want to live in Madison, Wisconsin forever, but um, like right now it's great. Works great. We have an office, like awesome office, uh, you know, awesome team. Like everything's so cool here. So uh, I wouldn't trade it for anything. Well, and I'm, I'm looking at you, your camera's so
2: crisp. It looks like you're in a studio right now. Are you filming from your office?
0: I have mega desk. So about a year i don't know if i've sent you a picture mason i'll send you a picture after this but yeah like about a year and a half ago when i started um doing more of this kind of stuff i was getting frustrated with having to set stuff up all the time so i just turned my desk into flip a couple switches and i have all the lights and everything kind of permanently or mounted around my currently have eight monitors on my desk normally seven normally seven I have an expert but yeah so i have two computers at my desk um that i can jump between like an uh, auxiliary one is a huge help but yeah mega desk is the best thing ever because i don't have to uh, spend time setting up and I get a like amazing, you know, look for stuff like this and for recording ads and social media content. I work with, uh, some awesome guys that do a lot of that for me. So I can just turn on my stuff and do a session like spend an hour with them recording a bunch of stuff and then they take it from there. So like everything has gotta be about efficiency. I feel like, uh, cause when you put barriers up, then you just are annoyed by it. Well, and, you know, I, I, love the Dwight, Schrute, Dwight
2: Schrute office reference to mega desk and, uh, yeah, I mean, Megadesk. It, it looks really incredible. Um, do you think uh, you're going to get those new Apple goggles that come out so you don't need eight monitors on your desk where you can have a thousand monitors or are you going to keep it
0: physical? Probably just stick to the monitors I have, although I, I always think about getting bigger screens. So I probably at some point will just get some bigger screens. Uh, I, but yeah, I don't know. Like I, I feel like you can't have enough screen real estate. Now, it can be a distraction. You have to be a little bit careful. Um, because if you have too many different things going on at once, it's totally a distraction. But when you're doing data stuff and you're trying to really like focus and deep dive into things, when you have more screen space and you can just put things up and reference them, it is so valuable. Uh, before I had a bajillion screens, I would print stuff off all the time. And just cause I would want to reference it. So, you know, people think I'm nuts sometimes for having so many screens, but like, it's just so useful when you need it. Um, As long as you use it correctly. Oh, yeah. Well, and I I, I think, you know, some
2: people might think it's a silly point we're making here, but if you're working all the time, make it comfortable, make it efficient. Mm -hmm. You know, a 22, 24 inch computer monitor for just like, you know, your cheap, average, crappy one, you can get them for like a hundred bucks. And you can obviously, they range in price to thousands of dollars, but make your work environment comfortable. um, Because if you're going to be spending a lot of time there for a hundred bucks, it's worth it.
0: I see so many people go out and buy the cheapest monitors they can to that point. And the screens just like they hurt your eyes. I don't know how to describe it. So I'm personally a really big fan of Dell's business class screens. I think they're amazing. They're really crisp and they like, I can look at them for 16 hours some days and my eyes don't hurt at all. Where cheap screens will make my eyes like totally hurt. So uh, I would totally invest the money in decent monitors, whatever they may be. Uh, if you are in front of your computer I all the that, time. You hear damn
1: I've got Dell right here, my friend.
2: Yeah, uh, I just remember uh, one of your monitors whenever I came over was...
1: that's uh, <laughs> that's like in this place, just, so we don't oh need, do, we need to talk about that. Oh, uh, yeah, someone gave me one. Uh, anyway, so, John, I, I have two more questions for you. I'm sure Mason might have one or two left. One kind of fun one and then one more concrete. You guys have been in business now 10 plus years. You've done a lot of deals across the spectrum, commercial buildings, strip centers, apartments, so on and so forth. Do you have any fun, crazy, or, or horror stories you'd like to share your craziest deal or where everything went wrong or anything like that that you want to share?
0: Uh, so I guess in general, I would say as advice, I don't know if I, I guess I kind of have a specific story, but it's more advice. I would say keep stuff simple. Don't overcomplicate like entities, ownership structures, all that. Cause that's when deals fall apart. We recently had one where, we were a couple days from closing and how we planned on structuring the ownership was not working out how we thought. And we had to have just, we basically exited like one of our partners just bought the deal, which was fine. Um, you know, but how we had planned on doing it didn't work because it was too complicated. So, uh, I think when you're in real estate or in business and anything, keep things simple, don't overcomplicate it. And I'm really good at overcomplicating things sometimes. So it's hard, uh, to not overthink and overanalyze stuff. um, in real estate with rentals like you know there's always things going wrong i feel like uh and we even we even recently had a commercial building where the tenant we had to evict, evict a tenant um but yeah it's like it's just the the crazy you know things where you know water is running somewhere and like i don't know just random leaks or pipes that break uh we had during a cold spell pipe break when i had a w-2 job you know and in dress clothes i'm over there sucking up water in the basement like there's no no what else do you do on the coldest day of the year you can't find someone to come out right away uh we thankfully don't manage any of our own properties anymore we found that we're better off managing the managers or like finding you know finding more to work on our portfolio than doing the day-to-day uh management but um yeah just that stuff like of you know or like you put brand new carpet in no pets and then like you know pets come in and destroy it and you're replacing it or I've seen it all. Uh, What was the other half of that question, Dan? Was there another part to that? I was going
1: to say is just, are there any questions you wish we would have asked you, any topics we should have covered? You know, someone who's a bit newer listening to this, any points you want to drive home?
0: I would say uh, I always give this advice to people that are thinking about young people, I should say, that are thinking about getting into real estate. Now, I'm talking like you're in high school, you're 17, 18. Uh, and you want to get into real estate, but you're not sure what you want to do. My advice is to go out and just start a business. Now, I'm not saying go get into jump into real estate, but go mow lawns, for example, a really simple business, but run it like you are mowing the whole city. So, like from the business side of it, learn accounting, learn how to invoice, do like literally everything like you're running a huge company, because then you can go and take all those. Basic business skills that you've actually gotten from hands-on doing and not just like book learning, Um, and you can apply those when you jump into real estate or you know anything else you do down the road. Uh, I did just that, where I was you know doing business things when I was young, and those early businesses, my biggest takeaway was just the basic business stuff. Like I learned so much that I've applied to everything else I've done along my journey. Um, So I always tell that to anyone that's really young and looking to get into like thinking big wants to go out do huge things like the first opportunity you can just go start a business, a basic, simple business. Uh, I think that's the best thing you could do. That's such great advice. Um, it, it's not
2: hard to go start an LLC to do cash-based accounting, to do all the stuff that you're talking about. Um, even if you're going to school, even if you're going to college and everything of, um, there's so much opportunity out there to do something in a small way that teaches you the fundamentals where, you know, selfishly for me, John, I wish I had done that of, I did it the opposite way of went corporate America to the top and then going in and starting my own business was so different than working in an established thing because, uh, you have to be the one to create everything.
0: Um, so such a mate that that's such great advice, uh, as we wrap up. Yeah. Along with lines too, then when we went out and started in real estate, like I knew exactly how to open LLC, I know how to do all that stuff. And it was, that was the easy part. So I didn't have to focus on oh my gosh, like, how am I going to go? I have to register here, or do what, get a login here, that, but it is confusing. Like no matter where it is, like all that stuff is so overwhelming and confusing. So if you layer that on top of like trying to go do your big, you know, real estate or big thing, it definitely could slow you down a lot. Just learning the Absolutely. basics. Well, and I mean, you know, for, for
2: y'all listening that have been wanting to start a business, but don't know how to start an LLC, go to rocket lawyer and just say how to start an LLC. And it'll cost you 150 bucks in whatever state you're in for the most part between the, you know, registration filing with the secretary of state and just like the initial documents. Um, We're not saying do that for, you know, large, giant, big businesses, you know, don't, don't take the template for the operating agreement online, but just like John said, keep it simple. Um, As we start wrapping up, uh, John, you know, um, I, I think that was such tangible, amazing advice to kind of end on, but uh, promote yourself. Uh, where can people find out more about you? Um, what services do you want to offer and how can people help
0: you? Robot is the best probably way to, to find me. So, uh, just robot Inc marketing, I N K uh, marketing.com. Uh, and I'm sure you guys could, if you put a throw a link at anywhere, just probably throw that one in. That's the easiest, uh, universal way. Um, You know, and I don't know, like, I honestly love helping people with robot ink. That's the other part of it. So, uh, you know, if anything, if you've ever been curious about direct mail, uh, love to see if we can help you out somehow. It is so rewarding seeing other people get deals, too. People call up and send in, you know, what they found, and it's so, it feels so good to know that other people can do it, too. So it's, uh, that's just, like, the most rewarding thing for me, I think, on a day-to-day basis, is helping others, um, especially more and more. That's beautiful, and Dan, Dan said it. he was getting, you know, four
2: or 5% ba- using your letters, which is a lot more than you're going to get using whatever crappy letter you're using. So go check out, uh, robot Inc. Um, the link will be in the show notes for this episode, but, uh, John, this was a ton of fun. Um, I got to learn more about you than I, than I knew going into this show, even though we've talked a bunch of times and, um, Dan, you want to take us out?
1: Yeah, that's uh, Dan Habergost, Mason McDonald, here with John Klingelhautz for the Big Picture Blueprint. Till next time.
2: And that's it for today's episode of the Big Picture Blueprint. If you found it helpful, please share it with your friends or anyone you think that it could benefit. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating. And we'll see you in the next episode.